Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Matt, how are we doing? Welcome back to the Spirit of Time podcast, my friend. Dude, I am doing fantastic. You actually caught me mid-sip, but uh, so sorry about that if anybody caught that, but it's great to be here. Um, it, it's been about two weeks. I think the last time we spoke, it was all about that rapid fire drop from Omega. And Yeah, uh, yeah. We're recording on a Wednesday evening, early evening right now, and, and uh uh, was there some sort of another Omega uh, 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 Moonwatch release today? A lot of people have been been chatting. A lot of text messages and group threads been blowing up. Uh, there's more stuff oh, coming on, huh? Oh yeah, I um, you Lots know we didn't really plan on talking about this. I do. I have a lot of thoughts. It, it was a really cool looking <laughs> drop. Um, I'm extremely bummed that they're going to be. It sounds like they're going to be profoundly difficult to get. Yeah, well, so, we'll save that for I think maybe a a, a, a special episode that some of our friends want to do. But uh, you know, we're talking about the obviously the Omega Moon Swatch uh, right now. But um, otherwise, how are you doing? Everything's well. Yeah, actually, everything is great. I mean, we've had fantastic weather. Maybe a little warmer than I'd like, if that's even possible here in uh, in Southern California. And yeah, things have been good. Work is good. Family's good. Everybody's healthy. Um, I don't know anybody right now that's got the uh, the Rona. So. That's positive. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, about the same. Really busy in a lot of ways, but a lot of fun stuff. I've been over to the High West Saloon uh, to see our friend Brian. Uh, there was a, a, a really special bottle that somebody brought over. It's actually an El Tesoro Añejo. So you're familiar with El Tesoro. A lot of, uh, I think the listeners will be. Finished in Lafroig barrels. And uh, Jamie, who works for Beam Centauri, uh, was able to procure a bottle and she wanted to, to to share it with a few folks. So that was a really cool uh, uh, taster. And uh, and then uh, and then the other night, actually, uh, my friend Joe, our friend Joe, also was swinging by. And so, uh, you know, got a chance to say hello to to him and, and hang out with Brian over at the saloon and, and try some new mascales as well. So um, a lot of fun stuff, you know, bouncing around, keeping the kids busy and you know, life is good. We're here. There's a, a a jillion things to talk about. We're what about seven days out from Watches and Wonders, really, really, really dropping everything on us. But we'd be getting hints and teasers, and you know, and and some brands have already been you know putting some new stuff in front of us. So I think there's gonna be tons to talk about in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, maybe we could talk about a few things. And I think uh, we've got a really cool episode lined up, you know, for us today as well. Yeah, well, absolutely. I tell you what, instead of uh, kind of belaboring our small talk, let's just get right into this and introduce the guest. We are actually joined today by Nick. Nick is the proprietor of DC Vintage Watches. So obviously a specialist in vintage Seiko, but also Omega and Hoyer, et cetera. Uh, Nick has done, I think, sourcing for a lot of really kind of the low-key heavy hitters, people in Hollywood. So think uh, Randall Park and Daniel Day Kim. Ronnie Chang, and now probably me. <laughs> Anyhow, Nick has got a bunch of podcasts under his belt, and uh, it is it is time to come on with us here at Spirit of Time. Nick, welcome. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to be did, here. Did he really just put himself in the A list? <laughs> it sounded like it. <laughs> I think he did. Wow, that's good. It's really I like that. This is going to be a good one. In a smooth fashion too. So you're like, did that just happen? And you're like, oh yeah, I do. I, I respect that. I'm All right. <laughs> Hey man, if I can uh, if I can end up with a cool vintage Seiko on wrist, then that it, and that puts me on par with Randall Park, who's like one of my favorite actors. I love that guy. Yeah, he's um, tremendous. Then I'm like, yes, uh, he's That's- a great dude. He's super humble too, which is always a good quality to have. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, hey, you know, we typically would just do a wrist check, poor check, which is why we wanted to introduce you first, so you can kind of mm-hmm. share in that. Why don't you're the guest? Why don't we uh, lead off with you, Nick? What do you have on the wrist? What do you have in the glass? Sure. Um, so today I'm, I'm wearing a, a, a Seiko six one zero five eight one one zero from nineteen seventy one, aka the uh, the infamous Captain Willard. Um, I've actually posted a bunch of times on social media about the Captain Morgan because I just rewatched Apocalypse Now, the the um, what the uncut one that's like three and a half hours long. I just watched it last night, and man, that's just every time you find just new like new nuance things in there, and you compare it with contemporary times, it's an amazing film. Um, but I digress. Uh, this this watch is actually one that I recently picked up. I wrote an article. Uh, it's on the website about it, and it came from a Navy diver that bought it in the px in puerto rico in 1971 new and just wore it on like just all over the place like he he just gave me his life story and it was just fascinating to interview this this uh this gentleman and it, it, like i said it's on the website so check it out there but um yeah in the in the glass uh, like i was saying before i had a, a great ipa uh local local brew and uh we had a barbecue this past weekend and i just yeah, yeah i pretty much finished all of it off so that's <laughs> the, sign, the sign of a good beer it's gone all right right i just have a very pedestrian vex right now but hey man it serves the purpose just, just drinking that right now no you are absolutely one of us brother it's like i don't know <laughs> if it would have survived a uh, a barbecue at my house i don't know if you can see this by the way i'm gonna hold this up and it it's gonna be difficult to see or to read can you read what the title of that playlist is I, I no, I can't. I can see part of it, but yeah. Okay. I yeah. I, I have a playlist here. Um, just, uh, in, in terms of my music, it's the Seiko 6105 from the PX mix. <laughs> and it's, uh, and some of the, the s- stuff that's on this playlist, I've got, uh, sunshine from cream, little old lady from Pasadena, Jana Dean. Uh, there's Hondells on here, beach boys, CCR, of course, a lot of CCR. Surfing Bird from the Trash Men, a lot of Jimi Hendrix, a lot of nice. Rolling Stones. So yeah, I'm I'm absolutely feeling that I watch that you're wearing right now. A lot of stuff I just listened to in that film, in other words. <laughs> Wait, yeah, so right? you've got a playlist, you've got a playlist that you've curated and you have not shared it with either me or the listeners? You know what? I don't think I have. Um I've I've posted it before, but it was probably before we uh started the pod last year. Oh. Right. Yeah, I mean, we are it's, an it's, audio. We are an audio medium. I mean, this is really in our alley. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I'll have to, uh, you know, maybe expand on that at some points. So anyhow, uh, enough about that. How about you, Greg? What have you got? Uh, whew, okay, we got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, some new things. So let me start with what's on the rest. I've got a new watch alert. Um, Yay! Super, super excited about this one. Um, I've you know talked about it with with a few folks. I was trying to you know procure it for a little while and. And maybe we can get into it either now or another time. It was sort of a serendipitous way that I stumbled upon this particular 
uh, iteration or in this particular piece, I'd been debating to get it from one place and this one kind of fell on my lap, which was pretty cool. But um, I have a Omega DeVille Prestige, I guess what they would call to know. I think it's literally in the, in the, you know, in the Omega archives is the uh, Omega, you know, DeVille Prestige to know. It's a to know case, obviously. Um, late nineties. I think they produced them for about three years, 97 to 2000. This is pre coax. Uh, Chase won't be happy with me, but that's okay. Um, so this is, you know, it's got an edit in it, uh, 2894, uh, you know, chronometer spec. And, um, it's in yellow gold, which I'm super stoked about. You know, we talked about, um, sort of my desire to add something like this a little, you know, on the dressy side in, in gold. And, uh, I think, you know, it, it kind of rounds out a few things, a couple things I was hoping to to knock out in the collection. It's got super cool Breguet numerals at, at 12, six and nine, sort of this trapezoidal window date. And, uh, and some like, almost like a, a guilloche pattern, you know, that radiates from the middle in a kind of a, you know, a secular pattern, a circular pattern. So it's cool, man. I'm digging it. It's fun. It's small, you know, for me. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's really growing on me size wise. I love it. That's what it's, that's what's on the wrist. That's fantastic. I know you've been tracking that one for a while and a, a lot of people have just been like, okay, get it, get it, get it. Good yeah. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much airtime with just this story with me. We'll get into it either organically or, or another time, but it was really glad how it came into my possession. And, and I actually, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's new old stock, uh, which is even cooler. And, um, and it was local. Uh, so I didn't have to get it from overseas. Typically I think it was an international release if I understood correctly. Um, in the glass, I'm going to save my in the glass. I'm going to let you tell you, tell us what's in the glass unless you're not. And then, and then I'll go into maybe what we're drinking and we can talk about what we think about it. You know, that makes sense. Well, Hey, so like Nick, um, Nick, I've got, I don't know if you've lived in California. I I expect you've been here for a while. So you're probably familiar with 805. So people who, you know, are not living in, you know, kind of the Western U S 805 is kind of a, a central coast staple from Firestone Walker. And this is basically kind of a cross between a, uh, like if, uh, the love child between a, maybe a pale ale and a Pilsner nice. and just, yeah, just really good, easy drinking beer accessible. You can find it everywhere. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the West coast, Sam Adams. That's how I would describe yeah, it. That's a good describe. Yeah. yeah I like yeah, that. That, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense actually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a good, like, you know, kind of porch rocking, you know, just chilling <laughs> out and have a, have a beer with your buddy on the, on the wrist kind of, in the spirit of our guest, this is not an original. This is a, the reissue. This is the Solar Arnie from a few years ago. Nice. And um, I, I am pretty sure I have the distinction of being the first person in California to get one of these. So thanks to our buddies at Feldmar, one of the many opportunities, right, that I've had uh, to get good stuff. It you know comes from the good guys at Feldmar, and you do not need to be a VIP, by the way, if you're anywhere in Southern California and you're not going to Feldmar for, uh, for new or, or pre-owned, <laughs> you're making a mistake. Give them a look, but yeah, these hey, guys real quick me up. shout out, not to cut in too much, but real quick shout out too to one watches, two watches, three watches more. Tony, he just picked up a Speedmaster from Jimmy at Feldmar. And I his saw post, His post is tremendous. Just the way it came together and him and his wife kind of almost didn't realize it. But anyway, go check it out. Congratulations, Tony. Nice work. Everybody over there. Tony, you married up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> And congratulations on the watch, but yeah, so um, really grateful. But again, you know, not not an original, but um, 
this is uh, probably stands me in pretty good stead. This is my my cycling partner, workout partner kind of watch, and I I love this thing. So, yeah. I, I always so, like to hear people that use watches for what they're designed for. I mean, that's always – and you are. I mean, that's, that's great, man. But it doesn't matter whether it's original or the reissue. As long as you like it, man, as long as you're using it for what it's meant for, that's that's amazing. Totally. So, Greg, what do you have in the glass? So – you know, we had uh, some folks reach out to us and, and we got a new tequila, you know, to try here. This is um, Califino tequila and they have some local roots. They're actually based out of San Diego in terms of their operations. Obviously, the tequila comes from tequila. Has to. Um, but uh, I think if I understood the story, there's a soccer player, Miguel Luna, who is playing for the San Diego Soccers, like an indoor professional team down there. And he's got some family down in tequila. And they had an old family recipe and he would bring it up to, to share with his teammates and everybody really started to dig it. And, you know, about, you know, six, seven years ago or so, uh, him and his coach actually, I think, came together as business partners to, to form this brand and actually import it in a formal way. So uh, they've got the full range, you know, Blanco, um, Reposado, Añejo. We have the extra Añejo. Really, really beautiful packaging here. You know, it's got this sort of like a... Uh, you know, almost like agave paper, you know, rustic look on the on the label with a kind of this hemp or maybe I don't know if it's agave, you know, fabric, but this kind of like hemp rope uh, neck. And uh, this is the extra añejo. They said they wanted to send us this to 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 try out. Um, seven years uh, minimum aging, American white oak, and then I think they finish it in in cognac barrels. Um, let's give it a shot. What do you think? You see me taking a sip. This is, and not in a bad way. This has not lost its green character. I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, you know somehow I think sometimes I think the longer and still is you know kind of a neophyte, but the the older, bigger, the extra añejos sometimes lose that um, that almost like that nopales kind of a flavor. Mm, yeah, I, I don't, you know, and it, it, you know, they take on more of a, a conventional kind of a brown spirit, just a little bit, especially in the nose and at the front of the palate. This does not. So this is 100%. this is this tastes in a, in the way I want it to taste like a a young tequila, but it's got really gorgeous surprising. color. The nose is great. Yeah, yeah, it's like a deep, deep, deep amber. Um, it's sweet. I think this would bring a lot of whiskey drinkers over, some bourbon drinkers. Yeah. Color's good. It looks like it would make, I mean, I don't know what the pricing is, but it looks like it would make a nice cocktail. Uh, good question. I imagine at seven years old, it's probably, you know, on the pricier side to put in a cocktail, but I couldn't imagine why I, I wouldn't splurge every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. That's I good. know that's always an issue. Some creme brulee kind of, uh, you know, caramel notes on there. Like you said, it's still got some of the agave forward presence to it. I'd call it like a dessert sipper. That's good, you know, late at, you know, uh, you know, later in the evening. Yeah, late at um, night when you're doing a podcast. Late at night when you're doing a podcast, 40% ABV standard kind of tequila, you know, uh, approach. It's from the the Highlands in Arondas. So, hey, check them out. Califino, we'll post it. Um, if you're into sort of the extra añejos and, and on the sweeter profile, um, especially if you're curious, maybe coming from the brown spirit side, um, might be one that you'd really enjoy. Yeah, totally. I look forward to seeing more from it because I, I would probably like to get a bottle of this based on the my experience with it here in the glass. The glass you made me, by the way. Thank you. Oh yeah, no. I broke out the Riedel too because I was like, if I'm going to drink an extra añejo, I might as well get kind of fancy with it. Fancy, right on. Well, hey, 
let's uh let's loop Nick back in. Sorry, Nick, we you know kind of uh, went down our our very short agave rabbit hole there, but this is something we like to do is to kind of rep that stuff on this podcast. It's in the but, title. Um, Right. <laughs> That's right. Hey, if, no, if nothing, we're we are uh, consistent. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, there's been a in the past couple of years, right? There's been this huge explosion in steel sports. You know, modern steel sports. There's been a huge explosion in the popularity and collectability of like you know high end allocated booze, and now there's this what I think is a huge explosion in really good high quality vintage Seiko, especially like the six one three eight, six one three nine. And that's one of the things we wanted to start with right off the bat. What do you, you know, how do you think that's come about? What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, it, as with everything, it's, it's a combination of things. Um, first and foremost, it's more ethereal. It's, it's more, I, I, you know, I don't know how much proof I have on this, but I feel like people for some reason just finally woke up one day and looked at the quality that was inherent in some of them you know the craftsmanship in these watches and we're like well crap we've been sleeping on these you know and i think the other thing has been there's been mainstream periodicals that have been writing about us in particular gq um gq has written and i i mean i have some of these articles framed on my wall right now they did an article uh on the you know, the the 6139 colonel pogue about a two years ago now i think they did an article on the 7016 which uh, you and i've talked about which came several years later and you know and then they they did that article that that they interviewed us for and that was on the 6139 the black dialed uh bruce lee so i think all of this because gq is such a mainstream periodical i think that's really you know a cause a lot of attention to be focused on on this brand and just and then you just have the trends in vintage watches in general um, particularly during the pandemic when you had a lot of people that were, uh, you know, sitting at home, uh, were lucky enough to be able to work remotely. And a lot of the income that people would be spending on vacations and, you know, going out to dinner, going to movies, disposable income, um, they couldn't do those things. So they, you know, started looking and buying stuff online. And it wasn't just vintage watches. Obviously, you know, you see massive explosion in business for Amazon, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, so these things kind of, perf- kind of all ran together to form like the perfect storm, I think during the height of the pandemic and, you know, people also had a lot more time on their hands, I think, and they're sitting at home and they're reading about things like vintage watches. So newspapers, periodicals, they paid attention to these trends and they started writing about them. Wall Street Journal wrote about them. New York Times wrote about them, you know, just vintage watches in general. And it, it all like, you know, the rising tide, the rising sea you know, brings up all ships type deal. So yeah, a bit long-winded explanation, but that, that's, that's my theory at any rate. You know, to, to build on that, and I, it's actually, I think, pretty instructive, right? But I'm curious if you, and you, you kind of listed, like you said, a couple articles, obviously some, you know, bigger sort of like life, you know, instances like COVID and other things. Oh. Are, there, are there other like specific mile markers that you might identify that sort of pop things off, whether it's Seiko or I know, you know, you're huge in, on, on TOG as well. Are there things that you could look back on now and say, oh, okay, that was something that was a spike. That was something that was a spike. And it was this sort yeah. of, you know, to brings us where we are. Um, I, I really think the first thing that I really saw popping as far as vintage Seiko was the Pogue, was the 6139 Colonel Pogue. And that was maybe because, you know, when, when I started this business about a decade ago, you know, you, you'd have a new old stock Pogue sell all day, every day for like $400 with like bracelet, original bracelet, everything in great shape. 
I mean, I saw one that was just, I would only use, personally, I'd only use as a parts watch. Um, like rust and like, you know, it's just the terror, the dial was destroyed and it sold for 350. And I was just taken aback by that. And it's really, so I think that really started like popping off. I think, and I, the, the exact date eludes me, but I know first and foremost with the Poe, what happened, I think this dates a little bit, but this definitely dates before the pandemic, but maybe five years ago where, you know, a, a, a pair of intrepid, uh, intrepid rather, um, enthusiasts watch enthusiasts like everyone in this podcast right now actually tracked down nasa astronaut colonel pogue and wrote him a letter and said hey this is we've seen these pictures with you wearing this watch can you confirm that you did this and not only did he confirm it he's nice enough to write back he included a photograph in it and then he later sold it at auction for like six it was sold for like 6500 bucks this is watch this is the providence is undeniable this watch today i don't even know i mean i'm thinking tens of thousands of dollars quite frankly the way that that people lose their mind over watches that have been in outer space uh yeah it it would be incredible but i think that's really what and because that watch is so atypical it's just like what i originally thought when i first started collecting watches 20 plus years ago in high school it's like I thought it was garish and ugly as hell, quite frankly. It's like this this gold dial and this like Pepsi colored bezel insert. I was like, oh, this is awful. And then we started selling them. And I was like, I really like this watch. Like it really grows on you. And I, I think because it just stood out like that, it instantly became synonymous and people identified it as a space watch. And that was really what did it. So it's like, hey, you know, hold on a second, Omega. I know you'll never let us forget that you're the, the NASA Space watch, and honestly, I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't let people forget either if I was Omega. It's our prime selling point. But you know, that Colonel Poe came in there and edged some of that popularity out in favor of it. So I think that was really the main catalyst. And then everything started. It started pulling up other pieces, other six one three nines. As people did more research, like um, there's a UK uh, automotive magazine called Road Rat, and about two years ago, it did a center fold story on the 6139 the dark blue dial one so not the light blue but the dark blue and they called it the uh it's now called the the sievert and i don't know french so you know forgive me for for i hope your listeners forgive me for slaughtering the french language but it was uh, this this ill-fated f1 you know formula one driver uh francois sievert and he owned one and i think he may have actually even been wearing it when he died during a race um, so they broke that story. Uh, unfortunately, the watch they chose as their example in the story was uh, a Faco. Oh, man. Uh, oh, man. It was a great bit of, of detective work. It's just the example is like this watch just uh, full of fake parts, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, but no, I mean, the, the article had its purpose and people started collecting that. And then, you know, it's just one thing after another. And then it starts pulling up, like you said, the 6138, which was the oddly numbered successor to the 6139. And Seiko just had this amazing catalog in the 70s of like these bright colors, large diameter for its time. The 6138, I mean, some of those are like 42 millimeters. In the 70s, that's massive. And today it's normal. But then it was, that was really big. Even the 6139 is like between, depending on the variant, between 39 and 41 millimeters, which is good size for that era. So yeah, that's uh, again, a long-winded explanation, but that's that's kind of what I attribute to that that popularity. And then everyone else, and then people, you know, I get this question on podcasts a lot. They're like, okay, what are the other Seikos that people are, vintage Seikos that people are sleeping on? And they're out there. There are great deals to be had 
with some with some calibers, um, not really the 6.13 or 6.39. Most of those are at, you know, they've gone up quite a bit, and some of them continue to climb. Uh, they're not making more of them, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's 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 my interpretation at any rate. Well, that was literally going to be the next question I asked you, you know, is, and, and I, I'm reluctant to ask, but it's such an obvious question. I mean, cause it's, you know, we're all enthusiasts and collectors. We're like, Hey, I want to know, but I don't want anybody else to know, you know, just yeah. between us, what, what, what has nobody discovered yet? Cause it does seem to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but as somebody, I, what I like about Seiko from that era is the fact that they are quirky and colorful yeah. and they're kind of, you know, weird and, and you know, the proportions are better for the modern era than they were at the time. Although, I mean, I think that's what made them look good. You know, they're, this is a, uh, a chronograph movement, you know, they're not super thin and they're meant to be, you know, legible. So -hmm. you make them a little bigger. That's cool. But it seems to me, you know, okay. Pogue has been super popular. That blows me away to think of like a $6,500 auction price for a flown yeah, watch. Yeah. I would do some pretty shady shit for like a yeah. flown G-Shock. You know, and he had like, he wrote like letters and stuff like that that were included in the auction, you know, showing prominence of the watch. Like it's just, yeah. wow. I don't know who bought, I don't know who won that, but man, they, I don't yeah, even they, know. I mean, I don't even that's a score. On what yeah. it is right now. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. But I mean, it seems to me like just having sort of watched over the past year, two or three um, prominent appearances of the Bruce Lee variant, mm-hmm. which is, you know, relatively kind of stoic looking, but now that has got to be enormously popular. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I would wonder if the, if there's Citizen out there that's kind of undervalued that people haven't discovered yet. I mean, it seems like Citizen in mainstream watch collecting is not as popular as Seiko, but Citizen's fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's actually, um, there's a collector on, uh, you, you, you may or may not know, uh, do you know Rob, uh, power 90801 on Instagram? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's really big into Citizen. Like he, I mean, Seiko, but he posts a lot of great Citizen stuff. And, and I, I learned stuff from his account on Citizen, quite frankly. Um, there, the citizen is massively slept on. And some of the reason for that is that, you know, you've had, again, you've had these like Seiko enthusiasts that are every bit as good and bad as Reiko or uh, Rolex enthusiasts. Uh, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, where you have like, but the good aspects of it is that these people like myself will dork out on these so much and they'll do that research. And citizen hasn't seen that yet. I don't mm-hmm. think as much. Mm-hmm. So people haven't, gone through archival, you know, paperwork that citizen may have out there. No one's done original research in Japan, to my knowledge. Um, and they, so there's amazing stuff and people just don't know about it yet. Maybe, maybe it's a language breakdown. Maybe some stuff just hasn't been translated from Japanese into English. Obviously there's a whole world out there, um, regarding citizen. I think the closest that citizen has come to being famous has been, which blew my mind at the time because I, 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 these used to sell for next to nothing. And that is, you know, they, they have this bullhead, which was called a challenge timer. It's the citizen eight one one zero, um, challenge timer. And it was at, citizen designed it to be a competitor to the Seiko six one three nine. And it's actually, they're, they're very similar movements, except the challenge timer has a flyback reset on the chronograph. So like you don't have to reset it. You can just hit the button and it flies back to zero and then keeps counting. 
Um, so in the 613, he didn't have that. Other Seikos would later incorporate that, but he didn't have it. So at any rate, Tarantino, when he did his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, his the main character, Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt, who uh, played Cliff Booth, the stuntman. There's your Bruce Lee reference as well, which is obviously quite controversial and in, in how that went down the film. But I won't get into that. Um, at any rate, he wore this watch, this gold bullhead of that design throughout the whole film. And the, the watch is, itself is actually kind of small. It's uh, I'm going to say maybe 35, 36 millimeters in, in width. And he wore it on this like this leather bun strap. Matt's, um, per- Matt's ears just perked up. Which, yeah, which looks like, which obviously makes it look bigger than it is. And, like, prices just exploded overnight on that thing. Like, all day, every day, we would sell those for, like, 400 bucks in great shape. Thankfully, they've calmed down. But at the height of it, like, maybe a year ago, I was regularly seeing them sell for, like, 2K, which is crazy. Now it's, like, 1,000. Maybe it depends on the, how good the example is, how recently it's been serviced, etc. cetera. Uh, but, like, 1,000, a little bit over, a little bit under um but yeah and it's and now everyone's calling it i did i did this post the other day making making fun of one but someone's calling it like the brat pit and i'm like <laughs> ah I, I i call it the cliff booth but okay you know whatever works for you um but it has its own moniker you know and that's really what it, when you know you hit the big time when you have a moniker you have a nickname um but citizen as a whole has i have not really seen that rob would be the expert on that quite frankly uh, maybe you should have him on next. Actually, uh, just you know, at some point, he's he's a good. Yeah. Dude. he's a local. I think he's localish as well. Yeah, I've met him a couple times actually at, at some get-togethers. Um, he's a great dude. But um, yeah, no, and he posts on Citizen quite a bit. I'm looking at his post on Instagram right now from maybe a week ago, and it had you know they do the the watch the watch week in review where you post the tiles, you know, with all the watches worn the last week. And out of his, he's got six watches up there, and two or three of them are citizen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. If, if I were to do that, it'd be like all Seiko with an occasional Omega or, or a Hoyer thrown in for good measure. But uh, yeah, no, that I, I feel like at some point, someone's going to start doing all this original research and citizen and we'll see that jump. But right now they're, they're great values for the book. Yeah. I think it's only a matter of time. And Greg, I CC'd when I saw that, uh, that challenge timer, I CC'd Brian from high West saloon. I was like, dude, you have to buy this. I mean, this is a a Tarantino movie watch. Yeah. And you kind of, you kind of need that. Right. I mean, for the high West saloon, um, that's, that's very much in, uh, in that guy's wheelhouse. So that's right. Yeah, for sure. Right on. Well, um, I mean, that's, I think there's, I, there's so many things that are probably undiscovered. I mean, I'm, we've been talking, Nick and Greg, I've probably told you a bit about this, but we've been talking about, you know, maybe sourcing me a, um, a watch in this brings up kind of my next question. And that is, and I'm, I'm obviously kind of getting a sense of how this is going, but for somebody like me, so I've been aware of your website and actually tracking for quite a while. And I'll have these fits and starts where I'm interested in in getting something like vintage Seiko because I'm pretty big in modern Seiko. And I'm like, hey, I want to go and check this out, especially for something that's just kind of fun and off the beaten path for me where it is, you know, colorful and kind of historic. Um, and I'd look at the website. I'd see something awesome. I'd start to do some research. I'd come back a day or two and the watch I wanted is gone. And it's, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you've got a popular website and it's like kind of a one of one typically. And that, you know, that's happened a few times. So I've decided, Hey, I'm going directly to the source. Let's you know talk <laughs> to Nick. 
Can you describe for somebody, because there are people who are listening, I'm sure that have had the same experience or that will, you know, once they mm-hmm. hear you or they, as you've been, I think, you know, frankly, you know, you've made the rounds on pods and you've been featured in articles, as you say, um, people are discovering you, I think, and just continue to have like this revelation of, Hey, here's DC vintage watches. If they want to contact you, what is the experience like? What is the process like? What do you do for them in the process of sourcing a watch? Sure. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, obviously on the website, we have a page dedicated to the, what we call our sourcing service. And this was something that, you know, we've done since more or less since, since the business started a decade ago. And at the beginning, before I get into detail, at the beginning, it was like uh, maybe 10 or 15% of the business and most of it was on the website, but now it's about 50, 50. So there's, so what you're seeing on the website, there's a whole nother, you know, double that behind the scenes. And, and I try, cause I do all the social media and I try to post watches that we've sourced for customers, clients, whatever you want to call them. Um, but it, it's hard to, you know, keep up on that. So there's, there's quite a bit that either hasn't been or will be on the website. So people get an idea of what we can do. Um, but first and foremost, you know, you're going to go to the website, you're going to go to that page and then, um, you know, you're going to send us an email and in the email, you know, and we get the wide, a wide, a wide range of requests. And it, it runs the gamut from someone being like, Hey, here's a picture of my dad when I was 10 and this is the watch he has on. Can you identify it? Um, and help me get one, you know? Um, and, I actually kind of really like doing that myself. A uh, little bit of background for myself. I used to work for the federal government. It's been a while um, since I, I worked for, uh, I worked, used to work for National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which did like the spy satellites. And I was a military imagery analyst. And so part of that is literally, you're looking at a picture on imagery and you're comparing it to like, you're like, is this a scud launcher? Is this a Soviet X-class destroyer or whatever? So you're look, you're picking apart these, you know, bad pictures or good pictures, depending on how lucky you are, and you're identifying it as what it is. And there's a lot of that skill set transfers directly over to what I'm doing now. So I enjoy that that detective work, if you will. Um, or you know, sometimes though they know exactly what they want, and they'll be like, I want this birth month and birth year watch. And Citizen and Seiko are both great and frustrating in that on their serial numbers if you know how to read them it will give you the month and the year they were made so people will like hit you up and they'd be like this is when i was born this is what i want um which is it's great when you're able to get that but it can be frustrating because it can the longest i think it was it took us almost two years to find because it was a rare watch to begin with and then you want a specific month and year or maybe a specific year um but people are almost uniformly always happy when they get that because they know they know the work that it took to get in you know, to get that watch. So with that, you know, when they write us, you know, we'll write back and be like, Hey, this is the price range. You know, this is the timeline and we'll, we'll estimate it because nothing's perfect. Um, you know, and we, we go out once they, there's like a, a source fee that's paid. Um, and that fee is fully credited towards the balance of the watch once we find it. And we almost always find it. Um, and it, you know, despite it may take a long time, we're not going to stop. We're going to find it eventually. Uh, the vintage game is, there's a fair bit of luck in it uh, because, you know, you could find a super rare watch uh, the next day. Now that's not common, but it does happen. Uh, or sometimes something that you thought would only take a month can take five, you know? So it's, they're not making any, they're, they're, they're not making these anymore. So, yeah. Um, so there can be some frustration in that, but it all in all, I enjoy the hunt. I know a lot of people that collect vintage watches 
do it for that reason. It's half the fun. And in essence, I, I personally, I feel very lucky in that I took something that was a passionate hobby of mine for dating myself, but since like the nineties into like <laughs> into 2012, so, you know, 10, 15 years I collected. And then, um, you know, one day my girlfriend then now wife was like, Hey, why don't you do this as a business? And, you know, I, I feel very lucky in that I can do that uh, these days, but yeah, but that's the process. And once we find it, you know, we're going to send them in-depth macro shots, pictures, all that fun stuff, movement shots, all angles in close in the dials. So, you know, pick apart any imperfections. Um, uh, and then, you know, full details. If we know the provenance of the watch, was it a one owner? Like I was talking about that, that 6105 Captain Willard. Is it a one owner that the dude bought in the 70s in the PX? Or unfortunately, most times we don't have that. But when we do, it makes it all the more special when we find that watch for someone. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and that's that's the way that process works. And uh, like I said, it's it's about half of our business at this point. Yeah, that's that is an impressive thing, particularly I'm sorry, but like the first kind of example that you gave about somebody, you know, approaching you, you know, with a, a photograph of a dad or something like that, because I mean, seriously, that's, you know, that's like the the perfect tie-in to what is basically a passion project and a, and a, a hobby and turning that into a business. I'm sorry, but when you mentioned, you know, working for a geospatial agency as a, uh, you know, I'm assuming, like you said, an, an imagery analyst and I'm wearing my Arnie. So the first thing that popped into my head was that <laughs> it's a Soviet MIRV-6 from an SS-22N launch vehicle. <laughs> and 12 kilograms of enriched uranium with a plutonium trigger. But I would be able to identify that. But the crazy thing is, just to get off topic for a half second, like, I feel like the quality of, like, uh, imagery that's available now on commercial satellites is just insanely good. And it just shows, like, how, I mean, obviously, I've been out of that game for about 10 years now. But just to see, like, how far it's come, uh, you know, you see all these things, like, uh, again, I'll make it quick. I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but there's a, there's a, 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 it's called Bellingcat and it's um, it's, they do like open source intelligence, but they look at all this stuff like imagery and Twitter and all these things. And they identify um, just things you would never think possible. Like they identified that it was uh, a certain country that's in the news a lot that shot down an airliner over the, uh, over the Ukraine or like they identified that just from open source without, without shadow of doubt, just amazing stuff. But and yep. that was they used imagery for that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm familiar with that uh, <laughs> with Bellingcat, and we we can talk offline. I mean, you and I have a lot to talk about. I'm like, I, I we actually took like you know, I had like an entire semester of like, okay, that's a foxhound, that's a fox bat. Oh, this oh, is the. And this yeah, is I haven't the, heard desi- I haven't heard NATO, NATO designators for so long. Okay, yeah. I like it. This is this is a fish like bed. This I is a bison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bison was the. Uh, that was a larger airplane, if I remember correct. Was it a bomber? Um, you know what? It's um, the one I'm thinking of is the uh, it's um, it's a MiG 21 variant operated yeah. by uh, yeah. India, and yeah. they they've constantly yeah. upgraded that airplane so that it's got. Um, I want to say it's got an Israeli sourced um, F 16 like mechanically scanned radar. The Israelis so it's, are, it's, are known for taking stuff and making it much better than what they started out with, as far as military equipment goes. Like they're yeah, it's an known. interesting, interesting airplane. But anyway, we, we could get way off topic. You know well, what, though? 
I'm going to tie it back in actually, because the last two days I've spent in between answering emails and being busy, uh, post office, etc. Um, I have been researching, um, an article and it will be on the website by the time this airs on, uh, the first black astronaut, but he was also involved in a, um, it was the United States Air Force because they actually had astronauts early on that a lot of people don't know about before NASA took, took over everything. And it, the U.S. Air Force was making this platform that they were going that that astronauts were going for 30 days at a time to take like imagery shots of like the Soviet Union and just all this crazy stuff. Um, but my so I wanted I wanted to do this article on him, but also not only that, you know, he's this first black astronaut, but he, also what watch he wore, because, of course, you know, it goes back to that. Um, so yeah, look out for that. And like, I expect to, it actually branched off on a tangent. My, my grandfather was uh, a jet fighter pilot. He, uh, retired from the United States air force as a full board colonel. Um, and he was actually, he was the commander of Rickenbacker air force base outside of uh, Columbus, Ohio. But I, I've been talking to my uncle who's a historian and we're doing like a, an article on like his career. And obviously I'm going to throw what watches he wore. Cause I have like these amazing pictures of him and the watches he wore and like, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That history stuff is amazing. Yeah, sign me up. Well, hey, let's kind of, uh, I think the last kind of major, you know, element to chat about, you and I discussed this prior, and that is um, military watches, Seiko, Benris, kind of what's out there. Because I know, I mean, I'm familiar with as a concept, you know, the um, the deniable watches, you know, uh, worn by, you know, the Mac V SOG guys and things like that. And there's, I'm sure that's like a whole you know, universe unto itself, right? Sterile dial, deniable watches, RAF chronographs, you know, and that kind of thing. What do you, what do you have to say about that in terms of like, you know, popularity and, and what to look for? Like cool yeah, stuff. I, I've actually, I've seen the popularity uh, on the uptick. I mean, obviously this is a limited sample set. I'm basing it off of who's reaching out and asking us to source what and like seeing what price trends are, you know, because I mean, I'm always going to be paying attention to like, auction sites because then that helps you determine where the market is um but uh I, i'm definitely seeing an uptick in interest i don't know if it's because of current events or you know there's always been a steady level of interest but it's, it's even higher now but seiko itself i mean it's not only like like you, like you said you talk about the army like the h558 you know arnold schwarzenegger wore that watch and like this whole just run of movies he actually i think he he wore it in terminator 2 which i just saw uh, he wore I think, it in kindergarten uh, cop. Yeah, he did. He wore it in planes as well with the veto, of course. Uh, but like, you know, not just Predator, not just um, Commando, like all these other crazy movies. But no, I mean, uh, that's another uh, Instagram shout out to uh, what's his uh, Surge. Um, he's also in Southern California. Um, you know who I'm talking yeah, about. I yeah. do. I do know who you're talking about. I actually um, I got the the Rennie Yater vintage style T-shirt. Um <laughs> Because he he posted, and I had been up to that surf shop and just didn't quite have enough time to go in about six months ago. And back when I used to surf, I'd always wanted to find a a period correct renegator shaped, you know, like a. I like it. I like it. You know, get, yeah, take a gunship back to division. You know, Lance, <laughs> let him pick a uh, pick out a board for you and bring me my, my Yater spoon, the eight six. That's right, and, and you shout out to that account too because it, I don't know. If this was something that he just decided to start doing, but a month ago he started posting all these like watches and movies and popular culture and stuff like that. And it's been it's it's been really fun to read uh, his his Instagram profile. Like really, all you have to do is just I don't I mean maybe we can put it in the notes or what have you, but uh, his account. But no, it's been great. But you know, so it's not only been um, 
but the the movie, like the popular culture aspect, so the H five five eight Arnie, obviously the Captain Willard itself in Apocalypse Now, um, and even in like the uh, the six three zero nine. 70 probably would have been the 7049 was worn by Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland in some uh, Vietnam films like called like uh, my girlfriend or something. I don't remember the name of the movie, but like there's there's pictures of it out there. But in like re, in real world military, as you noted, some of these watches have been very popular that Seiko has made. And I really refer to, you know, the MACV SOG. So the Military Assistance Command Vietnam Special Operations Group is the acronym because, you know, DOD loves their acronyms. And, uh, you know, there was a book and I've actually tried to find this book because I really want to buy it. It's called Running Recon. And it talks about these uh, these LRPs, these long range reconnaissance patrols that special forces, Mech VSOG, et cetera, used to run into you know, northern Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos to, you know, hit uh, the Viet Cong, et cetera, uh, you know, at their source. And it was important that they have these sterile watches that wouldn't immediately show them as American. Uh, I mean, then there's the whole obvious, like, you're a white dude in some of these places. Yeah, you're probably American, but I bet, uh, we'll ignore that for now. But no, the, the, so you had, like, it was the Seiko 7000, or 7005. I think one was a 6219, another one was 6119. But literally, if you Google Mac V SOG running recon in Seiko, you'll find in, there was tons of articles listing which ones. The 7005 is impossible to find. Like, I'm trying to find one right now. They come up every now and again, but they're very hard to find. Uh, but the other two are a little easier to find, but I'm trying to find all of those right now. Some of them, I have two or three requests in for to find those. But you really get into other watches like the Ben Rust Type 1 and Type 2. Um, now, those, when you see them being sold, you know, they, they were issued to, uh, I believe, McPhee Sog, but also rumored to be issued to uh, CIA forces. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Um, again, super sterile, deniable watches. There's no English on the dial. There's not even, it doesn't even say Benros on the dial. Um, if you can find those, a legit one is going to cost you six, seven, eight thousand dollars There's a lot of homages to them. I, we have them as well. We, we actually have, uh, we, we made like, I think five or six, uh, it's using, utilizing an automatic movement. Uh, the same, characteristics the same specifications for that type one and type two we sell them on the website um but yeah and then you have you know these other seiko watches like the uh the united kingdom for the royal air force made a 7828 they called the gen one they made a 7t27 or the gen two and they issued these to the royal air force and some of some of them were issued to um her majesty's submarine service and on the case back we've got a couple of these for sale on the website but on the case back they have all these like NATO designators on the back, as well as uh, British military designators for the soldiers they were directly issued to. So, you know, there's some provenance there. It's really cool. Yeah. Greg, have you ever seen one of these things? The um, I want to say that, that that watch was the first um, quartz chronograph, but with an analog display, you know, so it, it, it's a conventional display. And those are super cool. The other one, um, Greg, I don't know if you're familiar with, but that, that Mac V SOG watch, that's something that Dan from timely moments, he's big into that stuff too. But that, that watch would actually be right up your alley. Like in terms of its size, like how it looks, it just doesn't, it's not like all, you know, uh, butch, you know, military watch kind of thing, but it's got this amazing, you know, um, special operations provenance 
It's and like 38 millimeters. It's not like I actually have great size. So the, the one had a black dial with like these the the numerals, you know, the Arabic numerals, and that were loomed. I actually have the white dial, which probably wasn't issued, but still cool looking, and and uh, the white dial with the same you know setup. Yeah, they're cool watches, and that's another. I mean, the 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 RAF issued Chronograph in particular is one that is that's very tempting. Like that was not on my list of things to ask you about, but like when I whenever I see those, I'm like, oh, Greg Chase has one of those. I think he has not the military variant, but like a there was civilian one. Yeah, yeah. What, oh, I, yeah. Never, I don't think I've ever seen that on his wrist before. Yeah, it's a they they even called it like a, you know a speedmaster, and it's it's pretty rad. It's cool. It's got like a little you know helmet logo, and yeah, it's a it's a good watch. It's really cool. Yeah, totally. Well, hey guys, we are uh, we're coming up on about fifty minutes or so here, and we still want to kind of hit some closing notes. Um, Nick, I could talk to you all day just about like all the, you know, the, the DOD stuff and I could nerd out on, you know, how to identify aircraft from above and and all that happiness. But, um, if there's, you know, anything else that you think is kind of interesting, let us know, um, you know, what, what should somebody be looking for right now? If they're just kind of diving into, you know, vintage Seiko, is there anything kind of like, you know, there's in, in more mainstream and Swiss, I think there's an interesting sort of period of time, like maybe, you know, early nineties to maybe the early aughts that is starting to get popular again. You know, people are thinking of that as kind of, I think the term I hear used is neo vintage. Is there yeah. anything like that from Seiko that you think, or any other, you know, uh, let's just say a Japanese brand or brands that you like, like Omega or what have you, um, that people- yeah, I- would be surprised are probably going to end up being popular. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, I mean, if you're just getting into to vintage Seiko, I mean, the, the it, it's crazy to me that these are now considered vintage and it, it makes me feel old, but like, I know it hurts a little bit. <laughs> the, uh, the, it, it's, it's, an, it's a no brainer. The SKX 007 or 009, the, this, the entry level automatic five watches. And if, you know, up until, cause Seiko, I think discontinued them. I think it was in 2018, like late 2018. And I still don't understand why they did, but Seiko does a lot of great things, and a lot of things where it just it just makes you scratch your head. Um, but you know, these watches, I, I think brand new, they would sell for three hundred bucks, and now they've more or less doubled in price since they discontinued them in favor of these. I, I'm not in favor of I'm not in favor of uh, the ones that they issue now, but it, I mean, it doesn't matter. Same. Well, I'm in favor of you know, it is what it is. Um, so those SKXs can still be had for a decent price, I think. Um, and, and they, they actually, you know, while there may be not an immediately identifiable military provenance, they're, I mean, I, I've, again, you know, obviously I work, I used to work for the department of defense, so I knew a lot of, a lot of soldiers. Um, and if you're in DC, I mean, you're going to, it's, you're going to see it anyway. Um, but they were, that watch was very popular with the military and still remains. So I think because it was kind of bulletproof and remains, I mean, I still have three or four of them in my own collection that I wear you know, different variants, but that I wear with regularity. They're my beater watches when I'm working on my car or, or building, you know, if I'm building stuff around the house or so on and so forth doing maintenance, I'm that's what's almost certainly going to be on my roof. Um, but if you want to find something a little bit less expensive than those are now, um, I would say again, like it's the 7,005 series aside from that Mac V song are very affordable. Um, you can find those from the seventies selling for 300 bucks 
all day, every day, uh, or less, quite frankly. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, and there's like, like everything Seiko did, they built everything around a single caliber in this instance, a 7,005. And there's like 20 variants, case variants, dial variants, all mixed any, anywhere in between. Well, that makes it kind of a pain in the ass sometimes when people start Franken watching stuff and like and Faco, but that's a whole, you know, fake Seiko. That's a whole, uh, another podcast episode on, on its own. Um, you know, it, once you have done your research, like you said, um, you know, you can find some amazing deals out there, I think. So that, that would be my recommendation for Seiko. Um, Omega and, and, and Hoyer, you talk about the nineties and there's tag. Personally, I think tag went south tag. I think Hoyer, when it took over by tag went south, I haven't been a fan of, of tag Hoyer, uh, personally. I mean, we, we do get requests for sourcing of those and yeah, I'm going to do it. We're, we're all going to do it, but like. It, particularly in the 90s, they just, yeah, they, they cut a lot of corners. Um, and I just think some of the designs are just plain ugly. But and <laughs> I don't think I'm alone in those. Uh, I, I know when I went on uh, Matt Farah's uh, podcast, uh, he, he held court on how ugly tag horrors were for a good five minutes. And he, was wrong. he was not wrong. I think um, it's, you know, they've almost reached the point too, where there's almost like a, an ironic, you know, appreciation yeah. to it. And, you know, so it's flipping a little bit, but I think the point is they're not timeless designs. They are very of a time and, you know, take it or leave it. Do you know what their most popular sellers tend to be? The, the Hoyer reissues and the tag is not on the dial. That's that, right. Which, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, Seiko is not immune to that. Seiko's got, I mean, you, some of the reissues, like I personally think the, the Arnie reissue is a good one. Some of them are not, uh, but the Arnie is, is one of the, I like that one. And I like the, uh, oh God, what was it? The, the, uh, the, the, the priest, the five, seven, one, seven reissue, the presage, uh, I'm trying to remember. They didn't, it was like that mono pusher chronograph. That it, they didn't reissue it with a chronograph, but it's still a beautiful watch. You know, I really like that one. And uh, yeah, but yeah, that's my recommendation for at least Hoyer and, and Seiko for getting into it. For Hoyer, it's it's going to be your quartz divers, your early '80s quartz divers. Mm -hmm. Some of them, the smaller, the midsize ones are still affordable. The the jumbo ones at 42 millimeters are just crazy expensive at this point. Um, I'm lucky that I bought all those variants like 10 years ago. And they, they sell for like 10 times what I paid for them because I bought them for peanuts back in the day. So, so you know, I think one of the things that probably scares people as they're really wading into these waters, right, is, is what you said earlier, right? The Facos and, and sort of like the, the Franken watches and just really trying to get yourself up to speed on what you should, what should be in the package, right? And so like, where would you tell people to start? doing that research, obviously on the DC, you know, vintage page, mm -hmm. um, and website, where, what are some other places that you think people can start to accumulate some knowledge so they can make informed decisions, whether it's with, you know, through you, um, you know, to say what they want, or as they're just learning about and, and searching, you know, different places. Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, I, I'd start all this with a caveat, like there's certain watches that I know more about uh, within the Seiko fold. And that's going to be, you know, your, they're the populars, the divers, the 6138, 6139. I learn new stuff every day on Vintage Seiko and everything. It is such a wide and varied and amazing manufacturer. Like, well, all three of the, our most popular brands, Hoyer, Omega, Seiko, but Seiko especially. Like, the variety of stuff that they made is just phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, I, I learn new stuff every day. But And, and I, the, the caveat also, you don't have to buy from us. You just have to do just – if anything, I would make the plea, just do the research. 
Um, you know, the internet is an amazingly powerful tool. And if you're good at running searches, you're going to find what you need, you know, be it in forums or be it uh, some websites directly on this. We've got some guides up there as well. Um, you know, that being said, you know, you do that research, it will take some time. Um, but, you know, for people like me that love the research, it's enjoyable, you know. Um, so, like I said, you know, you can buy from us, um, you can buy from someone else, but do that research first and foremost. Um, and, and then next, you're going to buy the seller. You're going to make sure the person that you're buying from has a good reputation, quite frankly. Um, but as far as doing the research itself, uh, there's um, we've got some of those guides published on our website. Uh, as far, and they're, they're not ones that we wrote. They're ones that are from other websites and we're putting them all in one place. I think it's, we have a page dedicated to FACO and it's like, you know, if you're new to it, these are the links you click on, read these, etc. Um, Instagram is a great source. There's a couple of, we actually have one account uh, called uh, DCVW underscore FACO Friday. That's uh, right, yeah. We published the, uh, you know, and, and we're only limited to 10 slides a, a post. So, you know, and there's a hell of a lot more FACO than that every week. But it's like, you know, I'm going out, I'm looking at, at eBay and other other auction sites, Etsy, which is just a minefield of just disaster. Um, and you're looking and I'm, I'm finding the nine, either good, a good example as in like a really good fake or like these just like, oh, my God, how can anyone buy this? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, it's oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Turn away. That's a that's an R rated. That's an R rated. So, you know, we'll, we'll put that up there and like, but there's websites and I throw this out. Uh, there's, it's, it's called Seiko Busters. Yep. Um, and, uh, that's, that's run by some well-known gents, uh, in, um, in Australia. They, he's done some great stuff, uh, as far as like really picking apart the good tells on what's fake and what's not on our fake Friday. Like, honestly, I wish I had the time to do that. I just don't. And cause I'm doing all of our social media, it falls on me and I've got 8 million other fires put, I'm putting out every week. Um, but no, he has taken the time and he's gone through the popular variants and models. And he's like, this is what you're looking for. Now, some of that stuff will age off as, um, you know, counterfeiters get better at what they do. Like the, uh, the six, one, three, eight, 80, 20 Panda, those dials, the new fake ones are just really, really good. And it's, it's like, I know personally, I know there's been at least one time where something looked great and I got it in the steel and I was like, this is fake. And I got my money back. Um, that was, I think that I bought that from a dealer contact that I had and he was fooled as well. Cause I trust, I trusted that guy implicitly and still do. Um, so yeah, that's some of them are good, good fakes. I hate to say good, but you get my point. Well some done. Are, well executed. Exactly. Some of the, some of the, the pogues are getting better. The gold dials are getting better. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that's actually like sort of, um, uh, it helps kind of like bring it back to like when you're just getting started or, or if you don't feel like you're at a level of expertise that you want to be at, it's sort of like uh, encouraging, right? To say, Hey, listen, I do this all day, every day. And there's still times where I'm like, Oh man, I didn't realize this, or this was a new, or this was really, you know, well executed. Like it helps people who are just getting started or not at the level that they want to be at be like, okay, I, I might make some mistakes. I might not. Everybody sort of does. You just want to minimize those mistakes. Right. And, and, do the homework and the research and connect with as many people that can be, you know, helpful in that regard. And some of this goes back to working as an imagery analyst before, because you could get confident at your analysis and your assessments and you make the wrong assessment and there's lives on, you know, not thankfully nothing I did <laughs> had lives in the line, but I'm saying the possibility is there. I mean, 
you know, I'll throw out the 2003 invasion of Iraq and that's all I'm going to say about that. But like some of that was imagery derived that, you know, he had these weapons. But and then you compare that to at least for what I do, I make that wrong call. It's not only the reputation, but it's also like, you know, I'm trying to support my family. You know, it's, it affects the, the bottom line of the company. So, like, it's good to be it's good to not be overconfident and to be humble and, and continue to do that research. And thankfully, I really enjoy doing research. So, yeah. you know, it's rewarding. Well, that's cool, man. And that's probably a good note to end on. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you. And I'm I'm super glad you're able to come on. Obviously, we're going to continue to talk, I think, uh, you know, as time goes by here, because I've got a bunch of ideas, probably more ideas than when I talked to you last, which is not a good thing, I guess. But I mean, I, I'm like, <laughs> no, I think I remember, this is great. I think it's really great. Well, it's I remember, I, you know, all, vintage, years, all vintage watches are a slippery slope. Yeah. Or you, you learn, I'm telling you. I'm going to throw this in there just because you're on, like I'm on record saying that I think that the Pogue will be reissued and I think they're going to do with it what they did um, with the Arnie. I think it's going to be a solar Pogue. You're going, you're going on record? Yeah, I think I, I think something like that, make it relatively accessible, you know, um, relatively affordable and, you know, you can do it in a, a variety of color ways and, you know, I'd love to see it as a, as like a prospects, you know, upper level prospects model. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe they would do that, but uh, those new, I think um, something. Those new prospects, solar speed timers, right. Are, are kind of recently yeah, out and they're, I think are, they're really well done. They're fantastic. Totally. So anyhow, we'll see what happens, but in the meantime, um, what do you think, Greg, do you want to hit some closing notes? Yeah, I got a, a, a show recommendation. I, I, I've watched it before, but I didn't. I guess I just realized I didn't finish it, which was surprising to me because I don't usually let things kind of like hang out. I usually try and uh, to run all the way through them. But it's a it's a show that was, I guess, originally aired in 2016, but it's been on Netflix. And I, I remember watching it about a year ago or, or maybe so, but I didn't finish it. There was four seasons and 16 episodes. It's called Hip Hop Evolution. And uh, this is just, oh, there we go. Yeah, Nick, this is going to be great. It's awesome. It's so good. It's yeah. uh, for, for for anybody who grew up at a certain in a certain time period, I think it's really going to hit home because it traces evolution I, all the way back. You're my dude. Do you see the do you, do you do you see that picture right there? I can't see it super clearly. Yeah. So it's it's Jay-Z and Beyonce. And it's oh, I, OK, I did. I did a tour uh, in the White House Situation Room. And uh, he came during the the end of the Bush administration and the beginning of the Obama administration, nonpartisan position. And uh, yeah, they, he came and visited and like I got to meet him. It was like really, really awesome. But hip hop, man, I like all music, but hip hop, I've been since like fifth grade. Just, yeah. And if you follow the Insta, if you follow the gram, as, a, as the kids say, you get it every you see it every now and again where I'll throw like hints out that this is something I'm passionate about. It's a fun follow actually too for, I'm sure everyone already follows it, but I think you have, you have, you know, you'll throw in some memes here and there and, you know, and obviously, you know, kind of fun stuff like that too. times during that show where I'm just like, this is, it, it explains the background of music that I grew up and you grew up listening to. And it, you remember when you were listening to it new. Yes. And this is, this is not just hip hop, this is any music. When you were listening to it new and what you, you know, you were in 10th grade or 11th grade doing whatever, and it brings back memories of friends and what you're doing at the time. It's just, yeah, it's great, man. It's super well done. So check it out. I, I think there's four seasons. It covers everything. It's, you know, the birth of, of rap and hip hop, West Coast prominence, East Coast, and of course, South, and goes all the way through the side. Memphis, Houston, New Orleans, Miami. I mean, it's really far ranging. 
um, the, you know, the, the sort of creative lead. And I guess what you would call the host, maybe director too, is this guy, Shad, he's really good. And he talks to everybody. I mean, if you think if you wanted, if you, he's hearing directly from the artist, he's talking to juvenile, he's talking to, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, two live crew. I mean, he's talking to everybody. It's crazy. So it's, it's a really fun watch. Uh, you could, you know, rip off a couple episodes and, uh, and I think probably lose yourself pretty quickly. But, um, if you're into music, I think period, it's a really interesting and well done documentary and series, but especially if you're into hip hop, you're really gonna, you're really gonna dig into it. Was, was that an Eminem reference to lose yourself or? No? Oh, cause, oh yeah, that was so perfect. And that, oh, man, just even rewinding back to Eminem's prominence and how Dre and, and, uh, and, and, you know, how that all kind of came together. 50 cent kind of coming. Oh man, it's crazy. I, I think maybe the Super Bowl halftime show, maybe somehow like planted a seed in me again. And I went back through and it was like, maybe in my, you know, continue watching or something, but uh, I was glad I finished it out. I spent, you know, spent a couple of nights doing that. So good one. Go check it out. Right on. Well, Hey, so my, uh, my recommendation final note here is, um, is this. So if anybody has listened to the gray NATO, they, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to us, that's, that's clearly like one of the biggest, you know, podcast properties. So you probably are all listening to it. If you've heard any of their book club episodes, they're really good. And I've got a recommendation that actually is very much kind of up that alley. And that is this, that it's a book called The Sailor's Bookshelf. And it's by Admiral James Stavridis, United States Navy. So um, Admiral Stavridis um, is, I, I want to say his exit command was sink NATO. And he basically was, you know, in, in command of NATO forces. Yeah. Um and this was and under the the, uh, the first Obama administration, if memory serves, because I, I actually met him a couple times. He's really nice. Yeah. So he's um, as part of you know I've recommended and I I feature a lot um, information that comes out of U.S. Naval Institute proceedings and proceedings has their own podcast, which is excellent. Um, Ward Carroll. I to that periodical actually. As so I've been a, a nerd member for decades. And uh, if you listen to that podcast, the host is Ward Carroll and, you know, Ward Carroll has his own, by the way, um, amazing YouTube channel. He's an outstanding guitarist, by the way, Um, but Ward Carroll and he had uh, Admiral Stavridis on. And basically this is a book about a book list, a reading list that he recommends to people, you know, at very high levels, but also to, you know, junior enlisted sailors. And it's broken up in things like you know leadership, geopolitics, and the sea. Um, but there's also a lot of you know kind of nautical fiction, sailing fiction, and it's everything from like the Hornblower series and the Aubrey books and stuff like that. And if you just want a book that is itself a a, rec- a like a laundry list of recommendations of good books to read, and I, I remember thinking when I heard the Gray NATO episode that was a few weeks ago on their you know their book list you know, so many of the things that they're talking about were in Stavridis's book. So I, I would suggest, Hey, try, you know, go pick that up. Um, he, Admiral Stavridis is an academic at heart and he has written a lot of books and, you know, if you can find it on Amazon, you can find it at us Naval Institute press. And I'm literally looking it up right now on Amazon as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can, uh, and you can go and, and listen to his interview at us Naval Institute proceedings podcast. And while you're at it, go watch Ward Carroll on YouTube because he's awesome. He's very, very good. And that'll lead you to Rick Beato if you like, you know, really good music. Um, and yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing, the way that kind of 
works around. So that's my recommendation. Just, just, I wanted to throw two things out if, if I may, for, for a moment, um, back to the hip hop thing, Randall Park, massive hip hop fan. Um, he was actually like, if you saw the, um, the, that movie did with Ali Wong, always be my maybe. Yeah. I love yeah. that movie. He actually was in a hip hop group back in the day. I don't know if you remember, he was on Nick Cannon's Wild and Out for like, a oh, shoot, which is like, I totally forgot about that. And he reminded me, I was like, oh, damn, you're right. I totally blanked on that. And I got him. <laughs> it's called, um, there's a book series called 33 and a third. 33 and, and a third. It looks at like, just, it's all music. But for the most part, I'm reading the hip hop stuff, but it show it tells the story behind these like this like era forming records. Like it would be like Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. It would be Nas Illmatic. It would be like Rolling Stones, like everything. And I gave him two of those books and he like just loved them. He was like, this is amazing. So it gives like the background. Like I didn't realize like there was so much star power that formed Illmatic. It was like Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest and just like it's craziness. The second point, um, I did look up Serge's, I want to give Serge's uh, Instagram shout out because he's doing some amazing work on this. I call them like kind of like Hollywood posts. Like I'm learning stuff from him about like his most recent post was on chips of all things. Oh, man. Like like he he found that like, um, who is it? Like on chips, uh, dude wore six, uh, what is it? Uh, Eric Estrada wore 6309. I didn't know that. But like, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Robert Redford in the movie Sneakers wore 7828. I had no idea. So, like, his account is Surge92604. Check that out. It's some great stuff. Yeah, it, I I would second that. I go back and forth with him all the time. Cool guy. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right hey, where do people, where, I think you mentioned a few times, but where do people find you? I know there's a couple different handles, obviously the web. Like, where, where can they interact yeah. with you? Um, Instagram is, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram because if you, if, if they, they have a weird algorithm and like you can put seemingly innocuous things up there and they will disable your account. Um, and it's happened to us four or five times. Um, but like if you, if you keep up with their customer support, eventually you'll get someone live. Eventually you'll get someone that's willing to help you, but it's frustrating. Uh, I hope no one from Instagram is listening to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) So we, we, the main account is DC vintage watches. Very simple. Um, but I was forced to make a couple backup accounts. So I made them more localized accounts. So one is uh, DCVW underscore Los Angeles, self-explanatory. The other one is DCVW underscore DMV, which stands for DC, Maryland, Virginia. And so you'll you'll have the watch things, a lot of some of the similar content, but you also have like the DC one tends to be a bit more like DC problems, like um, just like weird, like things that people laugh at there, like the, the LA one will be like overheard LA where it's like very mm-hmm. much like just absurdities that happen in a, in a city that's focused on entertainment, but also like random earthquakes and fires, you know, so <laughs> you'll have a lot of that. And then I already mentioned the, uh, the fake old Friday one. And then just for, you know, shits and giggles, I made an account for my, uh, my, I have a 1989 Isuzu trooper, uh, that I've had since junior year of high school. So I've had it. Oh, for, no way. Yeah, man. I've had it since, God, I'm dating myself again. I had this since 1996, and uh, you know, and Dude, I you don't have to worry. I'm, I trust me. I'm, I'm older than you. You're all right. <laughs> Go with God, my friend. Uh, but no, I've, I've, uh, you know, and it's crazy because my friends used to make fun of it in high school, and then I got out here in LA. We, we got out here in 2018, and every time I take it out, someone comments on it, and then yeah. I just realized not only is because it's older, it's like anything older than 2000, like even like a 2000 Acura Integra which is a car I had until, you know, I don't know, five or six years ago as well, um, draws attention. But like, 
you know, it's it's from you know, it's 1989, and it's like it's unique. It's like a two wheelbase option. They only made for six months. You need like 800 of them. It, that they brought into this country, but like, I dedicate that, you know, and and it's uh, yeah, it, it seems to be a popular account, which blows my mind. But yeah, anyway, that's that's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah, and then the website, of course, is www.dcvintage.com. Sweet. Well, thank you very much, Nick. It's been awesome having you on. Um, again, we I will be in touch with you almost immediately hereafter because I have a bunch of new ideas. Bye, but, bye, uh, bye, bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so guys take care hey um with that let's have the last sip cheers to you so thanks nick sure thanks cheers. guys have me on i love it absolutely we'd love to have you back we hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice it really does help you can find us on instagram at spirit of time podcast and contact us at spirit of time podcast at gmail.com as always please drink responsibly thanks again for listening we'll see you next time